0: Welcome to The Report Card with Matt Malkus, the education policy podcast from the American Enterprise Institute. Well, it's well known that the price of a college degree can be pretty expensive, and that's only become more the case over the past few decades. But despite this, every year, millions of students enroll in college and decide to make that investment in their education. For many, that decision is primarily based on the expectation that the cost of college, will pay off later in the form of a better career and higher wages. In other words, they expect a healthy return on their investment. Well, given this logic, it'd be easy to think that the choice of whether or not to attend college is the most important predictor of one's financial future. But what if that logic is flawed? What if instead, which college and which degree in that college is actually more important to financial success? That question is central to a recent report on the Return on Investment for College Degrees titled, Is College Worth It? A Comprehensive Return on Investment Analysis. Today on the report card, Preston Cooper, the author of that report, joins me. Preston is a visiting fellow at the Foundation for Research and Equal Opportunity and an AEI Education alum. Never the slouch, Preston also published a tool where you can look up the estimates his report is based on. That tool is titled, We Calculated Return on Investment for $30,000. Bachelor's degrees. Find yours. And here to help me discuss this huge project of Preston's is Carlo Salerno. Carlo has long written about the nuts and bolts of higher education finance and is the VP of research at Campus Logic. Preston, Carlo, welcome to the report card.
1: Hey, thanks for having
0: us on. So, Preston, you wrote this report and you calculated the return on investment, or ROI for short. For about 30,000 BA degrees. So before we get into what you found, why did you set out to study this? Great, uh, thank you. Thank you,
1: Nat, for that great introduction. And I think you kind of got at the answer in your intro that students are constantly asking themselves the question of, is college worth it? And the more important question they should be asking themselves is, how can we make college worth it? That, you know, we see um, on average that people with a college degree are going to earn about 67% more than people with just a high school degree. But there's all sorts of problems with that, you know, simple average that, that we talk about, um, because not all college degrees are worth 67% more than, than a high school degree. And uh, so not all of that, um, not all of that 67%, you know, college, college earnings premium is actually due to the effect of the degree. Some of that is due to the different students who are choosing to attend college versus not. And so I set out to study this because I wanted to parse out all those different problems with that, and fix all those different those different issues that are present with the the raw statistics out there, and calculate. So if you take out, you know, the um, if you take if if you take out the uh, the difference in the people who choose to go to college, if you take out the cost of college, if you take out the opportunity cost of the the, the wages that people are giving up while they're spending four or five years in college, if you um, if you incorporate the risk that people won't finish college, because we know 40% of college students uh, don't actually get their degree, uh, what do you have left? And what is the actual value of the college degree? And it turns out it really depends. There are some degrees that are worth millions of dollars and there are some degrees that uh, have no net financial value at all after you take into account all these costs and these risks.
0: So Carlo, I wanna ask you your perspective on this before we jump into the details. And, and, and my basic question is, whether you're talking about this from a higher education sort of administration lens, or from a parent lens, or from, you know, a prospective student that's coming into this, my question is, how should we think about this sort of investment view on these decisions? Because for sure, if you're ever going to invest this much time and money into an education, you should care about return on investment, but I guarantee you, Preston has heard from many quarters, oh, well, it's not just about return on investment. So just sort of do the table setting on where this is important and how far we might want to push it. Yeah, um, Nat, thanks for having me as
2: well. Um, You know, I I think Preston's done a good job of setting this up, and I think, you know, if we think about this as an investment, right? What do we know about investments? Investments sometimes pan out, sometimes they don't. Investments depend on a lot of different things going right or wrong. And I think looking at the college financing experience through the same lens uh, tells us that we probably shouldn't expect like a uniform investment. We should expect different degrees to have different payoffs. We should expect people with different backgrounds to have different payoffs. We should expect people We have different career ambitions to have different payoffs. And so if we're going to talk about the return on investment in education, I think we have to start by recognizing that past performance doesn't guarantee future results. And so we have to think about all of these things that can influence what happens to people after they leave school, right? Because at the end of the day, once you get that degree and you fill out that first postgraduate job application, Uh, where you went to school and what degree you got is literally one box on an entire job application. There are so many other things that are going to shape people's uh, work trajectories for the rest of their lives beyond just going to school. And so this is a good start point for that discussion of uh, what shapes those future opportunities. And one of them are the choices that I think Preston highlights and the controls that Preston takes into account in this study.
0: All right. So Preston, Students certainly think about the financial benefits when they're going into these college decisions. And in your report, you calculated the return on investment for a huge swath of BA degree programs, uh, 30,000 of them. That's a lot. Before jumping into the details, just give us sort of the broad views. When you estimate this return on investment, you got to define the investments and you got to define the returns. So just sort of in general conceptual terms, for someone who's not taking notes but listening on a podcast... What did you have to capture on the investment side of that equation? Sure,
1: Nat, thank you. So there are three big components to this return on investment calculation. There's uh, number one, uh, what is the person with this college degree going to earn over their entire lifetime? Number two, what's the counterfactual? What would they have earned if they'd not gone to college, if they'd only had a high school degree and they'd still been the same person with the same other opportunities, the same uh, level of ability, the same motivation, the same family background, all the same details. What would that counterfactual be? And the third are the costs of college, both tuition, books and books and supplies, and also the opportunity cost of, um, of spending four or more years out of the labor force to get that degree. So essentially what we did is, uh, We uh, calculated uh, your earnings over the course of your lifetime, uh, based on a combination of census data and uh, a data set called the college scorecard which the Department of Education puts out which has has data on individual earnings for, for individual bachelor's degrees. Uh, we built a model to uh, calculate the counterfactual earnings for students, You know, taking into account different levels of ability, different levels of motivation, different family backgrounds, different demographics, different geography, the fact that people live in different places and have different job opportunities available to them. We tried to take all this account into the counterfactual, and then basically we subtract the counterfactual earnings and the costs of college from the estimated real earnings that students are going to get over the course of their lifetime. What we're left with is what we, what we call the return on investment, which is the amount of, that your lifetime earnings are going to increase plausibly because of the degree.
0: And, and when you talk about return on investment, just to be specific, that investment is choosing to go to this college and this sort of bachelor's degree program in there. So we're talking about communications at Columbia University versus high school the returns versus not going to college at all A- and comparing that ROI maybe to I don't know uh, Wesleyan University economics major correct
1: that's right so the counterfactual for each of these majors is what would happen if that that communications major at Columbia University had not gone to college at all so what is you know if if they had decided not to pursue that degree and they just decided right out of high school, I'm gonna go into the labor force and I'm still gonna be the same person with the same ability and motivation and all these other same characteristics. Uh, What would my earnings be? So in each individual ROI calculation is comparing The earnings uh the roi of that degree to the roi of not not going to college at all um but you could also if you wanted to you could also compare two different degrees and see what the different returns are uh for those if you're say a prospective student who uh is looking to figure out uh well where am i going to get the best bang for my buck
0: and carlo in the report you know some of these degrees unfortunately are negative, right? <laughs> that should be a, That should be a big signal, but that's not uh, apart from reality, right? This is you can have a negative return on this. And you know what are the kinds of things that typically people think of that would materialize in a, in a student's sort of trajectory that might yield more likely to have a negative return in, in a given major or, or institution?
2: Yeah, no, that's a that's a good question. And I think the obvious answer first is over borrowing, right? It's this idea that uh, the opportunities tomorrow are going to uh, be material and be realized. And I think because tomorrow is going to be better than today, I'm going to invest a little more today. And to again to Preston's point at the top of this podcast, right? Like we know that a majority of students don't graduate. Uh, We also know that many students who do graduate don't get jobs three months after they leave school. Sometimes it takes nine, 10, 12 months to find a career, you know, a career place job. We, we know that the median earnings in different fields, uh, n- not everybody can earn in the 75th or the 90th percentile of wages, right? If, if everybody's special, nobody's special, right? Like, so when you start factoring all these things in to the extent that I, as a student, think, oh, I'm going to graduate from this university, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to get a job within three months, I'm going to graduate in four years, I'm going to earn in the 95th percentile of wages, and I'm going to make my borrowing decision based on all of this money and all these grand, like, optimistic outcomes that are going to happen, chances are I'm going to spend a lot of money um, because I think there's going to be money to pay it all off later. And when that doesn't happen, you get an ROI because eventually what happens as you sink a lot of money into that program and uh, you don't get the benefit on the back end. Again, ROI is a cost-benefit analysis, and we can't talk about the cost without talking about the benefits. And what people are really bad at from an economic standpoint is estimating future benefits. We all think we're better than we probably are. And again, it goes back to that, if everybody's special, nobody is, so. But, but just quickly, Nat, just to go back to Preston's point before this, uh, you know, to, to, to the analysis itself, like Preston's analysis, which is, is really well done, uh, captures this sort of observation that what he, he's attributing in the in the findings, the differential to the degree, right? And like I said before, we know that there are more things than the degree that are going to shape those wage outcomes later on down the road. So if anything, like I think Preston's results are probably even more sobering because there's probably some unobserved fraction of these returns that have nothing to do with the school itself. Right? they have to do with ambition, they have to do with local job opportunities, they have to do with all kinds of other things. And so at the end of the day, what Preston's results probably show is the most optimistic case uh, rather than the pessimist case. So I'm pretty sure that if you were to try and isolate the effect of the university on this ROI investment, uh, it's probably actually lower. And we can't really know how much, that's, that's too hard to observe. But we, we definitely know that this is probably the most optimistic scenario so some of these degrees probably have even worse payoffs than than we're talking about right now
0: and when you go through the paper and i, I will recommend to listeners if you're interested in this there's plenty to read i mean there's charts uh, a million and you could literally go through the 30,000 entries just to uh, get a get a you know a ground level view of all these things But Preston, you lay out a number of things really responsibly, different ways to cut this, different things to include and exclude, whether it's sort of net cost versus full spending and and a number of interesting things. But really quickly, Preston, tell us a little bit and and give us a preview of just what's the variation under that sort of 67% return on investment? What did you find that the ROI would would range from? And, and where did you find patterns that are, are, are worth explaining to folks?
1: Yeah, so we found that about uh, 28% of uh, college degrees uh, do not have a positive ROI. So the average student who starts down this uh, degree, degree track is uh, not going to make their money back on average. And so part of that is because uh, some degrees have, will, will graduate you into lower earnings than, uh, than the typical counterfactual high school graduate. Some degrees have really low graduation rates, which means the investment is, is not gonna pay off if you don't actually get the degree. Um, and sometimes the cost of college is too high. And while there might be a bump in earnings, it's not enough to necessarily justify the, the, the high cost of college that you had to pay to, um, to get that degree. All that said, we do find some patterns, which probably won't be a huge surprise, you know, engineering, computer science majors tend to do the best. Um, Almost all engineering degrees across America, no matter what college they're at, are going to have a positive ROI, and about 90% of them are going to pay more than $500,000 over the course of your lifetime, so that's that's very clearly one of the best financial investments you can ever make if you're if you're so inclined to be an engineer. But it's not just engineering. There's computer science, which does really well. Economics, business, nursing, those all do really well. Some more career-oriented ones like construction management, transportation, architecture, tend to do, tend to do fairly well too. But then there's some degrees which don't pay off as much as, as, as some people might hope. Um, The obvious, some obvious ones are art and music. Um, After you take into account, you know, the lower completion rates there, you know, almost 80% of degrees in arts and music are not gonna pay off. Another big one is theology, philosophy. Again, you know, these probably aren't degrees that people are going into hoping to become millionaires, but it still is is, um, very troubling that most of those students are still not getting any kind of positive return on their investment. And another big one is uh, psychology This is the most popular single major uh, across America is psychology. And yet a majority of psychology programs have a negative ROI.
0: So let me ask you some quick yes or no questions or or, or binary choice questions, Preston. And I I know it's not some of these aren't going to be fair, but nonetheless, you have to answer them. And Carlo, you can just weigh in and tell me why they're not fair. Uh, What's more important in these decisions, choice of college or choice of major, Preston? Uh,
1: choice of major. We find that choice of major explains more than half of the difference um, in ROI among various programs. You know, going to do going to an engineering degree at you know a low-ranked school that no one's ever heard of is usually going to get you a better ROI than studying you know arts at one of the Ivy League schools. Carlo, is that
0: surprising, or is that is that right in line with what you'd expect?
2: No, that's that's literally right
1: down the fairway with
2: what education economists tell you major matters way more than school matters when it comes to
1: okay and I, yeah and i don't want to i don't want to dismiss the role of school the school sometimes does have a role to play um that and they're even within majors there are some programs that are better than others but the overriding factor is going to be major
0: so i think that might come as a surprise not perhaps to economists of higher education but to parents especially when they're looking at sort of those net prices for where their students may go or, or where adult students may be looking at. Elite schools, are they worth the premium generally, or does this sort of fall back on the, well, it matters on the major, not uh, whether you get into an elite institution? I'm going to cheat and
1: answer sometimes. So if you look at you know, very, um, very high value majors like computer science and engineering, the best programs within those majors, which makes them the best programs anywhere, are usually gonna be at really selective schools. So the top program, according to my calculations, anywhere in the United States is computer science at Caltech, which is a fairly elite school and a very fairly high value major. So that combination means that you're gonna be set. <laughs> that being said, those elite schools are not always gonna be great value if you choose the wrong major. And um, most of those elite schools, um, even in the Ivy League, have at least one program that's going to show negative ROI. It's usually going to be, you know, um, sociology, anthropology, psychology, sometimes art, theater, you know, the, the usual suspects, but still, you know, going to a school with a 5% acceptance rate is not going to be a guarantee that you're going to see a return on your investment.
2: Yeah, I, I think the one thing that I would add to that is, so as again, as Preston's research points out, right, like you can have quote, bad programs at elite institutions, right? Programs that don't have a a payoff. Where the elite schools probably help uh, graduates more than anything is not necessarily in wage boosts, but in employment opportunities. And again, this is sort of that signaling effect that economists like to talk about with where you get a degree from. So if you have you know, five people applying for a job and one of them is from Harvard or Yale, you know, is that person likely to have an edge in the employment process? Probably because that employer is probably going to have some perception about how rigorous, you know, Harvard or Yale is compared to any other school. And so I think when it comes to elite institutions, you're probably likely to find less unemployed graduates from elite institutions. Uh, but as some of the research that, uh, again, economists have done on this have shown, right, like the, the the earnings premium to elite higher education is really not that much greater than some of, like some of the state flagship universities, the public flagships, for example.
0: But the cocktail parties are fantastic. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. Preston, go ahead. Sure, sure. Just to add
1: to to, to what Carlos said that yeah, I agree that probably the premium that you're seeing from a lot of these elite institutions is going to be a signaling effect. I highly doubt that most of these elite institutions are doing education so much better as to make you your degree worth a million dollars or two million dollars worth worth more than a, than a degree from a, a less selective state university. I think uh, where the uh, high ROI for those degrees really comes into play is in the exclusivity. You know, I'll share a time from, from my undergraduate experience at Swarthmore, which is one of the High U.S. news-ranked institutions. Um, I was uh, applying for jobs as a senior, and there was one, you know, fairly uh, fair, fairly elite firm in New York that I was applying to, and they had an application where you could select what college you went to. There were only about fifty colleges on the list. If you didn't go to one of those 50 colleges, they didn't want you. <laughs> so uh, Swarthmore is on the list. I didn't go there because that was kind of a, a bad vibe that I got from them for that reason. But, uh, <laughs> but um, that just kind of goes to show that there are a lot of, you know, very elite, very high paying jobs that are only going to hire from a very small network of universities. And is that because the universities are doing it so much better? Or is it because those universities have just a very powerful brand name and they can place their graduates in places that most schools can't?
0: And it also shows that signaling goes both ways, right? Yes. Um, (laughs) From firm to applicant and from applicant to firm. Uh, One more question on this choice. Is it worth it just out of the box to think that a higher price school is going to have a higher ROI? Uh, No.
1: So we actually looked at this. We looked at
0: um, ROI by
1: tuition level, and we found essentially no difference. Uh, we found that the most expensive schools are about as likely to um, have a negative ROI as the least expensive schools. Um, so it really, it really does matter both the characteristics of the major and things that the schools are doing quite apart from from their price. Um, you know, one big factor that the school that it is more kind of in the, under the school's influence I know Carla will probably disagree with me on this but is uh, is graduation rate um, and that makes a huge difference to ROI because if you don't graduate uh, you don't get the most of the benefits of the degree um, and so attending a school with a higher graduation rate is often going to have a, a fairly large payoff and you know that's not always related to price um, that there are some very cheap schools that do very well on that metric and there are some very expensive schools that don't do well at all.
0: Well, Carlo, he we opened the door. Walk through it, man. I know. I was
1: just going to say, I actually do agree with Preston
2: because, again, let's go back to that job application, right? And if that job application says uh, this position requires a bachelor's degree, even if I have three and a half or four years of training but don't have the I'm not going to apply for it because I don't have the degree. So we know that the degree matters, even if there are things like credential inflation, and we look in labor markets and we see that, you know, there may be jobs that don't necessarily require a bachelor's degree, um, yet say they do. But the fact of the matter is, is um, the, the degree is a lottery ticket, right? It doesn't necessarily buy you future wages, but it buys you the right to get into that market to earn those future wages. And, you know, you can't win if you like. So you need that degree to get
0: into the labor market to get the chance to get the wages. So, so we do agree, actually, Preston. All right. <laughs> All right. So, Preston. Speaking of some objections that might come up for somebody who's just hearing this, I'm I'm sure that what is jumping out at them is, well, hold on a second. What about selection bias, right? And all cynicism aside about college admissions, I think most folks would agree that students attending Columbia are going to have a higher earning potential going in than you know open admission state university, and that even within Columbia or open admission state. Uh, like those who have a major in physics are going to have a higher earning potential sort of going in than those who major in history. And that was my major. So listeners do not email me if you are history majors. <laughs> uh, so I think, you know, to do this analysis, you're going to have to do something to get at that selection bias. So how did you handle it and how convinced are you that you handled it capably?
1: Great. Thanks, Nat. I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up because This selection bias issue is something that has annoyed me about other estimates of ROI out there that there's usually not an adjustment for for selection bias. The fact that the people who choose to go to college are different from the people who don't choose to go to college and the fact that people who choose an engineering major are gonna be different from people who choose an education major. So we do address this in the paper and um, it's difficult to do this because a lot of the factors that are correlated with this selection into college, like Cognitive ability, motivation—you know—sometimes family backgrounds, you know, background, you know self-esteem—you know, these things are very, very hard to observe. They do not ask about them on the census, which is the which is one of the main sources of data that we use for this analysis. Um, so we had to basically turn to a much smaller data set called the National Longitudinal Survey of Youth. Um, and without getting too wonky here, we basically used uh, National Longitudinal Survey of Youth to uh, calculate. How big of a factor selection bias is in the college earnings premium basically we said after you calculate for all these factors you know that that that, the national longitudinal survey of youth measures like ability like motivation like the the characteristics of the of the home that you grew up in like the characteristics of your high school how much does the college earnings premium shrink and how much does the premium for engineering majors shrink and how much does the premium for education majors shrink um and so then we took those you know the shrinkage of the premium. And we applied that number to our estimates of ROI to figure out how much higher the counterfactual earnings should be than for 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 these various majors than they are for the average high school graduate. Um, and there's a lot of ways you could argue with that adjustment because, you know we're we're basing the uh, the the adjustment off of a much smaller data set, only about nine thousand respondents. We necessarily have to, kind of do it in very broad strokes. So we have to say all engineering majors at private universities, not necessarily an engineering major at Harvard versus an engineering major at Swarthmore. You know, we we, we have to make the selection bias with adjustment within these broad categories. So it's not extremely precise. It's not as precise as, as, as I would like. And there are things you can criticize about it. And there are also, ways you can say you know maybe there are factors that even the national longitudinal survey of youth doesn't take into account that you should adjust for maybe there are, there are other factors out there uh, that you can't adjust for because the data doesn't exist but all in all i think that our analysis is getting much closer to the true roi than um than, than what existed previously uh, and so even though the selection bias adjustment isn't perfect i think we're getting a lot closer to the truth uh than we were before
0: so if you had like Swedish style administrative data, you might be able to get a better adjustment on here, but you did the best that you can with the available data and you did address this selection bias is, yes. is, is, is what I'm hearing. Yes. All right, um, Carlo, I wonder both from the supply side and the demand side, how we should think about the kinds of negative ROI programs that Preston talked about. So first, just sort of from the supply side, You know, stipulating that there are some of these that truly have a negative ROI, uh, should these be put on the chopping block by university administrators?
2: Well, that's a really good question. That's probably an even better question for policymakers, because right now there are lots of, and one of the elements in the room that we haven't really talked about to this point, is who provides these degrees? I mean, Preston has touched, and we've touched a little bit on the fact that there are some elite institutions that offer negative ROI uh, programs. Um, but typically, when we have this discussion, it often leads to discussion about the return of investment in for-profit education or in community college, right, where, where, the wage, uh, where wages are compressed and where outcomes are definitely not as great. And a lot of times, the reasons that those uh, outcomes are not as great isn't necessarily because of school quality, uh, but more because of uh, the students that are enrolled. Right, and the backgrounds that they're bringing to the table, whether they have serious financial constraints or whether they have less preparation from K twelve to succeed, we can pick a we can pick a dozen different reasons, you know. But the question becomes, should we be financing these programs? And I think the private sector answer to that would be that um, you know these programs shouldn't survive on their own in a competitive market because people won't want to buy them. Um, the problem is when you have these programs sitting in public colleges and universities, especially where there's serious taxpayer subsidies that are covering the cost of them, uh, the numbers don't look different, or the numbers look different, right? The numbers, the programs don't look as bad as if they were purely market programs. And so in the end, what we end up doing is, I don't want to say giving a pass to some of these bad programs, um, but we're willing to sort of look past you know, one or two bad apples uh, in return for just taking a step back and looking at the whole bunch. And I don't know that that's the right policy. I think personally, like, again, if if there's no market for the degree, there shouldn't be a degree, right? (laughs) Um, So the idea that we're saddling people with debt and we're asking people to take on uh, these massive amounts of money um, for something that's not gonna gain, uh, give them anything in return, uh, I think we need to ask ourselves as taxpayers, is that where we want our dollars to be spent? Because I don't know that I want my dollars spent there. So,
0: And Preston, in the paper, you lay out sort of these ROI estimates based on what students have to spend, right? The cost of students. But you also lay it out as sort of like the total expenditures, which would be these government subsidies and so forth. And of course, when you spend when you include a lot more on the investment end, the ROI is going to go down. but Really quickly, Preston. On the supply side, why hasn't the market shut down some of these programs? It's a great question. Well, I would I would say kind of the answer
1: is is what Carlo alluded to that a lot of these programs are heavily subsidized, and the ROI calculation does look a lot better when students aren't aren't necessarily taking into account the uh, the full value of the full value of the degree. So, in my paper, we estimate ROI uh, both for the tuition that students are paying and for the hypothetical where students have to cover the entire cost associated with the education, so all of the education-related spending at the university, and we find that the share of programs, the negative ROI, jumps from about 28% to about 37%, so a pretty significant jump once you take into account the full underlying cost of college, Uh, so the subsidies are one issue. Um, I think another issue is that We kind of have this golden ticket fallacy surrounding college, uh, and that a lot of people, um, you know high school high school students going to college will assume that if I get a college degree then I'm going to be set that's going to be my golden ticket to the middle class and it doesn't necessarily matter what I major in or where I go those details can be figured out later, what matters is going to college and. I don't really think that's true. I think that, that is uh, that is kind of a a myth that we've constructed around college, that it's always going to be a golden ticket. And uh, that can have damaging consequences if that means that students are going into programs which are not necessarily going to have a positive ROI.
0: So on the, the demand side of this, which you're, you, you quickly moved to, Preston, uh, how can students do better when they're thinking through these decisions, and I don't mean just like, well, look up on my tool and figure out what what, what might serve as a guide, but you could, you could do but that. But you can again, do that if you want it's, to. <laughs> it's it's going to be linked to in the show notes. So you can go right there. We get, a small, we get a small fee every time you go through that link. But my question is, how should students think about the return on investment when they're making these decisions, not just about the institution, but also about their majors?
1: So it's a great question. So, you know, I want, I want to start preface this by saying that, you know, maximizing lifetime financial returns is not the only goal of college. Obviously, other things matter too, like how much you enjoy a major. If you really hate engineering, you shouldn't, you know, put yourself through hell going through an engineering major if if that's really not something you like. But I feel like you should also be aware of what the differentials in earnings are between these different majors. And I feel like even if you're not going to be sitting down with a spreadsheet and calculating the exact ROI for each major, students should generally be aware that some majors are going to pay better than others. And I think this awareness is starting to creep in that people people know that, you know, CS is going to pay off. And you know, the jokes of about English majors ending up as baristas are, are pretty old too. You know, <laughs> I think those have those have made their way into the public consciousness. But I would love, I would like students to start thinking about these decisions just in terms of opportunity cost. You know, what am I giving up if I choose to do this major? And so say that I really wanna pursue a career in the arts, even though I know that's gonna have an ROI of of negative $100,000. If I chose another major, say economics, maybe I would have a positive ROI. But what's the difference between those two? You know, is choosing this, this low paying career in the arts Worth giving up two hundred thousand dollars over the course of my lifetime, maybe. But is it worth giving up five hundred thousand dollars, as it is as it is often? You know, maybe that's not. Maybe that that changes my calculation. Maybe that's that's not the decision I want to make anymore. So, yeah, I mean, educating yourself, being aware of what the differences are, what the what the opportunity cost is uh, associated with various majors, and just and being more deliberate about these decisions, not necessarily falling for the golden ticket fallacy.
2: Nick, I jump in here for a second. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, look to to make a cost benefit analysis or to evaluate ROI, you need to have good information about costs and the benefits. And surprisingly enough, even though in recent years, we've only started to focus on the benefits is again to the point of like the college scorecard where we now publish, you know, average wages for bachelor's degree recipients 10 years after leaving. You know, the fact is, is that most students can't calculate the cost of going to school because uh, schools don't give you a one-time all-in upfront, it's going to cost you $46,000 to get a bachelor's degree. Uh, instead, they say things like, we're going to charge you $560 a credit hour, and you need 120 credit hours, and all these things. And so year in and year out, you keep financing and financing and financing. And even if you plan on four years, if it turns into five, or if it turns, into five, which is why we use 150% as our typical graduation estimate, nobody uses four-year and two-year use three and six. Um, you know, the fact is, is that if I'm going to make a decision about whether a degree is going to pay off for me or not, I need to know how much it's going to cost. And we know that uh, whether you're 18 or 30 years old, you know, if you're starting out in college and you can't get a good handle on how much the actual education is going to cost, how are you supposed to make a reliable uh, decision about whether the investment's going to pay off? And so I think there's room there uh, for Congress and the Department of Education to start being a little more transparent and honest with consumers about how much uh, a degree should cost so that we can do the calculations uh, or, or so that we can readily understand the calculations
1: that Preston's report actually lays out. I totally agree, you know, that uh, that this is, this is uh, information that students should have up front, you know, how much is this college education going to cost me all in and well, one kind of dirty little secret of financial aid is that sometimes they'll give you a very generous offer uh, for financial aid freshman year, and then sophomore year, junior year, senior year, they'll start cutting that back. Uh, actually, we do take in that into account in the report that uh, financial aid offers get cut back in the sophomore, junior, senior years of college. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with Carlo that this is a huge you know, transparency issue that, uh, that we absolutely need to fix. I mean, imagine for a moment
2: that Um, instead of buying a car for $40,000, you were told that you have to pay uh, $2 for every 20 miles and that every year we're going to reevaluate this. (laughs) Never buy cars because we would never have a sense of how much it's going to cost to buy. It's a crazy financing method. And we don't use it for any other purchase in our life, whether it be automobiles, homes, other major purchases, only in education do we do this ass backwards, like, Go out, pick the thing you want, and we'll figure out how to finance it later um, methodology. And it's crazy because millions of people have to do this year in and year out.
0: So a lot of what we've talked about are some of the negative ROIs and so forth. Preston, quickly, let's look a little bit to the bright side. Is, and so I'll just ask you to wrap up with, with sort of a two-part question. Number one, remind us, is the investment in college usually a a pretty net positive investment for individuals? And just, you know, if you'd both take us out on, if the answer to that is yes, and I know it is, then, uh, you know, what are the, 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 the top one or two things that you would encourage prospective students to think long and hard about when they make decisions about these important financial investments?
1: Absolutely. So yes, you're right that on average, uh, college is going to be a net positive investment. But part of what I want to encourage students to do is to not necessarily think about it as an average, to think about co- the college investment as not an investment in college writ large, this big blob called college, but as an investment in an individual program that might pay off, it might not, um, depending on the major, depending on the school, depending on a lot of different characteristics. Um, and so I, I, I would like us to, you know, consider that there is a lot of heterogeneity in this investment there is a lot of risk associated with this investment and so while yes college does pay off on average um, that's still uh, not not a reason for people to not you know uh, fig- make sure that the particular college degree that they're investing in is uh, is going to pay off um and to to, to kind of uh, segue into um into your second point there obviously you know if you uh, if you want to know the ROI associated with the various degrees, you can look at our our tool, which is ah uh, which is linked in the show notes. I I would be remiss if I didn't plug that once in the in the outro here. Um, but you know you can also um, you 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 can also you know not without necessarily sitting down with the spreadsheet and figuring out this ROI on your own. Start thinking, you know, in terms of opportunity costs. You know, if there is a major that does really well on the joy factor versus a major that does really well on the financial factor, start thinking about, you know, what are the trade offs that I'd be willing to accept here? How much would I be willing to pay to have this major that I really like, but it might not necessarily be uh, a great a great return on my investment? You know, what is that actually worth to me? Um, and uh, I feel I feel like if students start thinking about things that way, that Every, all of life is about trade-offs, including the decision of uh, what to major in. Uh, I feel like that will, um, that will help students, you know, make much better long-term financial and otherwise decisions for themselves.
2: Yeah, the only thing I think the only thing that I would add here, right, is that, you know, um, you know if we think about college as an investment, uh, what do people do when they wanna optimize an investment? They minimize the cost and they spread out the risk. And so I think one thing that students and families should do is, you know, think about keeping college as affordable as possible. That's always going to boost the ROI. Uh, And if you're a younger student, if you're a traditional 18 to 22-year-old student, uh, more generic degrees are probably going to give you more lift in value over time than a very highly specialized degree, right? So more generic generic training when you're younger uh, is going. An economist has lots of job opportunities available to him or her right? Just go look at the SIP sock walk, right? You can see all those opportunities. So um, generic degrees help. They spread the risk. They make it easier to look back at the college investment and say, hey, I have a lot of opportunities in front of me. that could be different payoffs. It's a little different if you're older. If you're 35, 45 years old and you're going back to school to retrain or retool, you're probably going to be a little more targeted. Uh, but again, you can still control costs. We can always control costs. And again, I think we should remember that the ROI investment uh, involves costs and benefits. And so we need to think about both rather than just one.
0: Well, Preston and Carlo, I, first of all, it's good to know that college is still on net, on average, a good investment, but it's it, it, this, this tool and this exploration is super helpful uh, and, and in part could help folks make better decisions in that. And the nice thing about that is if we can consistently make better decisions about the majors that get chosen, then down the line, that average should go up. So thanks for your work on this and for talking to me on the report card today.
1: Right, thanks, Nat. This is a great conversation. And thank you, Carlo. Yeah, no, thanks for,
0: uh, thanks
2: for having me. This was a great time. Thank you again.
0: Thanks for listening to the report card with Nat Malkus. And special thanks to our guests, Preston Cooper and Carlo Salerno. We'll include a link to Preston's free op report and to his lookup tool in the show notes. I'd also like to thank our producer, Wesley Armstrong, who makes this podcast possible? Remember, you can subscribe to the report card on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And when you're there, take a moment to leave us a review so other folks can find the show. As always, you can send me your questions, topic, suggestions, or comments to ed.podcast at That's it for this episode. I'm Matt Hawkins.